this morning, Brother um, Alex has said, hey, he has the power to mute me. He hasn't done it yet. No mutiny, no muting me. So great job up there in the booth. Just want to say that to those guys. It's good that you're here tonight. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to you for all that you have done for us and all that you do for us and that you just taken so much time to to make us and to make our lives what they are and you're so intimately involved with us and well God you know us everyone and you know our needs you know our shortcomings you you know our strength you know our weaknesses and we we thank you for that we thank you so very much for your great son Jesus who died on that cruel cross of Calvary that we might live, who sacrificed himself for us, who so loved the world that he gave himself uh, for us. We thank you so very much. And as we worship you, we ask for you to help us that our minds will stay um, focused on you and on your word, your will, and your way. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we pray and ask these things. It would be thy will. Amen. Continuing on with the, uh, the lesson we're going to Acts 23, the games that we play with, with God. And the Sadducees, remember last week the Herodians joined with the Pharisees, and this week the Sadducees joined with the Pharisees and the Herodians to attempt to trap Jesus. And they were, they were motivated by what they believed. So imagine the wisdom of man, right? Here's the wisdom of man put to the test, right? So the the, the Sadducees have this belief in verse 8. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor an angel, nor a spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Makes you kind of wonder if they actually read what they, what they wrote. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you can't read the Old Testament and have that belief unless you don't believe the Old Testament. But anyway, Deuteronomy chapter 25 um, they had this great idea. They were going to take the text of Deuteronomy 25. And, and here's the problem. The, the scribes and the Pharisees really took into account the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, right? So that was gospel, the first five books. But, but the other 630 plus commands were ignored. The, the rest of the stuff that God wrote wasn't important. What was important to those Sadducees was just the Pentateuch, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So they grab out of Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 and verse 6, a scripture, and they say, we're going to take this text, and we're going to use this against Jesus. <laughs> All right, so verse 5 says, When a man takes a, a new wife, he shall not go out with the army, nor be charged with any duty. He shall be free at home one year, and he shall give happiness to his wife whom he has taken. Uh, and so, I mean, I need to go to 25. Sorry, that's a husband-wife one, but I'm going to 25, verse 5. I wanted to finish reading that one because I always like that text. Anyway, when brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her to himself as a wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out from Israel. And you read this text and you go, what is all, well, what this really is, is a protection 
for the woman, right? Because the way they did genealogy, you know that, they count the man, etc. Even back here, they counted the man. And so when they, when they had the property, the territory that was divided up, the territory was not supposed to go from one tribe to another tribe, right? So imagine now, the wife is married, her husband dies from the tribe of Judah, she remarries a man, now she lives on this property, uh, from the tribe of Levi, or Levi wouldn't, doesn't have any property, but now Levi does, because now they intermarry, so now a Levi has property, he's not supposed to have property. Or, she marries someone from the tribe of Reuben, and so now these properties, if you will, the territories and the, the, the gift of God, now becomes combined, and is not supposed to be combined. It was always supposed to be segmented out, segmented out the way that God had demanded. So, this was a protection for the woman and for her inheritance, for her upcoming child. So, in Matthew 23, the scribes take this text and they, they use it in um, a way that is completely out of context to try and trap Jesus. Beginning at verse 23, Matthew 22, sorry, verse 23. On that day, some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and questioned him, saying, Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies having no children, his brothers, as next of kin, shall marry his wife and raise up an offspring to his brother. Now, there were seven brothers with us. And the first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So also the second and the third down to the seventh, and last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven shall she be? For they, they all had her. Okay, what a, what a, what a question. <laughs> so they're like, oh, we got you, Jesus. Right? We've, we finally trapped Jesus by taking this, this scripture out of context and using it to apply toward the resurrection. And Jesus' response is, you, you don't even know the Bible. Look at verse 29. He says, Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken not understanding the Scripture or the power of God. That's Jesus' rebuke to them. And then he comes back and gives them a scriptural answer and puts it back, hey, get out of that context because that doesn't fit. And he puts it in its proper context. And he says this regarding their question. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now that'll make you think for a moment, right? Wait a minute, this has nothing to do with Deuteronomy 25, Jesus. The, the way you're answering us is taking us to another level of, of understanding. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And so now the Sadducees are in a position where they've got to take the same scriptures they read, right? The same scriptures they read and hold on to. Exodus. And they've got to, they've got to figure out, what do you do with this? What do we do with Jesus now? Who's answered us with the very same scriptures that we read and we believe. And we trust. God is not the God of the dead, but God is the God of the living, which suggests to us 
that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still alive. How do we handle that? Well, in verse 33, when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching because they thought about, okay, God, that's amazing. That's an amazing concept. The Bible truly does say that. God is the God of the living and not a God of the dead. And we read that all the time. And we miss it. And I, and I love the concept. I love the teaching. I love the word of God when it tells us that our dead saints, our dead brethren who are faithful to God, they're not dead. They were just transformed to another place. They are alive and well. Because God is not the God of the dead. God truly is the God of the living. How do you deal with that? Well, everyone else stands in astonishment. And the lawyers are watching. The lawyers say, hey, you guys know nothing. You don't know how to argue a case. Let us show you how to do this. We're going to show you how to put Jesus into his place. Verse 34. And when the Pharisees heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they gathered themselves together. And you know the, you know the question, right? What are we going to do with Jesus? No one, no one said, why don't we just believe him? Right? No, no, no one said that, right? What are we going to do with Jesus? Verse 35, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Where are they? They're still stuck right back in now. Book of Exodus and the book of Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law. They're stuck back here, and they're going to trap Jesus, right? What is the great commandment? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the great and the foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this is Jesus kind of digging a little bit, right? And on these two commandments depend the whole law. Not just, not just Exodus and Genesis. Not just that. The whole law and the prophets. What, what are you going to do with it? Now, now look, it's Luke chapter uh, 10. It's not that they didn't know the law. They knew the answer. So they're asking a rhetorical question. The, the, the lawyers knew the answer to the question. And we know that because in Luke chapter 10, in verse 25, listen to the reversal of that. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up uh, and put him to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. So think about this for just a moment. So they know what they're supposed to do, but they're not willing to listen to Jesus. They're not willing to listen to God. They just look at justifying themselves. You ever met anyone like that who just looks to justify themselves? But wishing, verse 20, 29, to justify himself, he said Jesus to Jesus, and who is my, who is my neighbor? So, so turn back to Matthew 22. It's not that they didn't know. They knew it. So they thought, well, maybe Jesus doesn't know it. So we're going to, we're going to ask him a question. We're going to set him up. And we're going to find a way to destroy Jesus. We can't do it any other way. You, you try to do it by the law. And by the way, Satan, if you, if you want to look at a Satan piece, this is a, a little nugget we can grab out of here. 
Satan never changes the way he works. For two reasons. One is, it works. And, and secondly, he can't do any better. Now, I'm not saying he's not good at what he does, but he just can't do any better. Remember, when you, when you go back and you look, uh, say, let's go back just to Daniel, instead of going too far back. Remember what they said, the satraps and the magistrates, they came together and they said, well, we can't trap him in the way he lives his life, so we've got to trap him in the law. And so they made a law about prayer, and, and you have Daniel in the lion's den. It works the same way. They can't trap Jesus in, in the law. They've they got to find a way to get him. His behavior is perfect, right? So let's find, a, let's find something that he's going to say that's going to incriminate him, discredit him. But Jesus turns the table, and I'll call this the end game because it's over. Listen to the question that Jesus will ask. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. And he said to them, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord? I just love this one right here. This is one of my favorite verses when you're talking about, uh, you know, Jesus asking a question. How does David... And think about, if you will, the mindset, right? All right, wait a minute. Okay, yeah, he's the son of David, of course. Look at the genealogy. It's obvious. We, we've got that clear. We understand that. But if, 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 if Jesus is the son of David, there's no way that David would call Jesus Lord, would he? We hold on to David, right? David, the great king. How do you answer that question? How would you answer Jesus in this particular moment? He said to them, how then? Does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put thine enemies beneath thy feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? His son. Let me let me tell you something right here, church. Right here is where you understand why Jesus said in Matthew 23, the Pharisees are going to hell. Right here is a good right this right here is one of the indicators that leads us into 23, where Jesus says, You are not only going to hell, anyone you convert is twice as much a son of hell as you. Because if David called Jesus Lord and the Lord is standing right in front of you and you don't believe him, there's no way you're going to heaven. See, Jesus is digging, he takes them to that very next level. We don't like to say it, but it's true, right? It's exactly what Jesus Christ said. He says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from men, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. I'm coming back to that one in a second. Nor do you allow those who are entering in to go in. They were stopping people from going to heaven, and they themselves weren't going to heaven. Jesus Christ was serious about this question. If David calls him Lord, how is he his son? Verse 46, look at, the, look at the heart of these men. And no one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. But rather what should have been done is they should have said, God, teach us. But their hearts were so corrupt they were so evil and so wicked. God 
was the problem in the minds of the Herodians and the, and the Essenes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's why it's such a big deal when Nicodemus comes at night. That's why it's such a big deal. So I wonder in Mark chapter, Mark chapter 7, I wonder leaving, leaving, leaving this, this account and leaving this thought of them back then, I wonder, I wonder how we're going to do if we ever play games with God ourselves. I wonder how well we're going, how well we're going to do standing before God having played some of these games. You know, there's, there's that one game that's, we, you know, I, I don't know what, I call it the great cover-up. You ever, you ever heard of that one? You ever, you ever sin and then try to cover up your sin? Or, or how, about, how about the no one will know sin game, right? No one's going to know, so I don't have to repent. I don't have to confess. I don't have to you know, pretend like it never happened. Remember, remember, you know, David and Bathsheba, David played that game with God, right? He covered it up. He hid it. I mean, at no point did David realize uh, in, in his mind, in 2 Samuel, at no point did he say, you know, God's standing right here. I mean, it's not like God doesn't know. His mind was so far from God. Sometimes I think that some of us, some Christians, kind of, kind of forget who God is. Like, as if God doesn't know. Right? As if God doesn't see Remember, he's the God who sees and the God who knows and, and everything's laid open. And, bare. and I know we know that, but, but for some reason in our minds, we think maybe he, some of us think we can get away with, we're playing a game, the game of religion. And I pray God, we pray God, I, we just don't do that. And in Mark 7 and verse 6, speaking to the scribes and Pharisees again, Jesus says, um, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy, you hypocrites, as it is written, uh, those people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, but in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine, right, the precepts of men. So, so what, they, what they did was they took their own ideas, precepts, their own teachings, and they made those supersede the scriptures. In other words, they, they said, well, here's what the Bible says, but this is what we're going to do. Let, let us never find ourselves in, in this place. They, they neglected, verse, uh, what is that, verse 8, neglected the commandment of God just to hold on to their own tradition of men. Let, let it never be said that that's how I live that's how I live my life. That's, a, that's another game. That's that satanic game, you know, playing church. Right? Showing up. Check the box. Go home, but we were never really here. I know some folks like that. Psalm 81. Psalm chapter 81. The, the Pharisees and the, and, the, and the Sadducees and the scribes and the Herodians, instead of murdering people, and instead of living and doing the things they did, they should have just, just walked away, right? Like, if you don't want God, at one time I, I said this and I, and I meant it, I still do. If you don't want God, just walk away. Don't, don't go hurt other people, right? Don't, just, 
And we, we got to tell our friends, you know, our friends that, that want to live, you know, lives that are obstinate to God. The, the, the movements, you know, whether it be the, the, you know, whatever the movement is, LGBTQ, whatever, whatever the movement is, you don't have to be here. Go just, just walk away. Why is it such a big deal? They're playing a game, see? It's a game that we ought not embark in, a game that we ought not participate in. Psalm 81 and verse 15. Those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to him and their time of punishment would be forever. Those who, who just don't like God, they got that little game they play. They pretend like they love God. Right? And they come here and they, and they just mess people's lives up. Turn to Proverbs, please. Chapter 19. So, so I guess what I'm saying this, this evening is that sadly there are still some who are playing games with God and it's because Satan doesn't change right Satan works in fact I'm going to do that pretty soon I'm going to bring a lesson series it's going to be a little bit uh, meaning time wise to, to, uh, to bring you the lesson uh, and it'll take a few to show you all of Satan's tricks in the Bible right? we'll look at all of them in the Old Testament and we'll see how, how they carry over into the New Testament and we'll see how they carry over into our lives so that way Ephesians chapter 6 when it says we're not unaware of his schemes or his wiles we, we can see them and go oh that is how Satan works right so we know for a fact that one, one game I'll bring this one up the blame game that one has worked for humans forever right you know blame God for everything wrong in your life. That's, that's an easy one, right? People play that all the time. In the church and out of the church, I'm going to blame God for everything that happens that's bad in my life. I've told you this before, that I remember sitting with a Christian who said to me, you know, the reason why I'm not faithful is this. When I'm not serving God, everything in my life goes pretty good. But when I come back to church... Things just seem to become disrupted in my life. I'll let you just hold on to that one. I had to hold on to that one for a little while myself. But Proverbs 19 and verse 3. The foolishness of man uh, subverts his way. And his heart rages against the Lord. Isn't it true that, that the majority of the bad things that happen in our world today... Is because of the foolishness and the disobedience of humanity. That, that's what it is, right? Um, James, please, chapter 1, you're very familiar with that. It's, let's, let's just call a spade a spade. And instead of blaming God and participating in the blame game and saying, I don't go to worship because, or I don't want to become a Christian because, let's just say, you know what? When you made that foolish decision to do the things that you did, and now you're suffering as a result of your decision, that's not God. And as Christians, we ought not let people play that game. Verse 13, uh, it's echoed to us, let no one say when, when I'm being tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted, each man is tempted. Every man is tempted when he's carried away by his own, right? It's, it's me. Right? It's, it's the stuff that's inside of me. By, he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. It's, it's me. Right? So, so the very simple statement of Jesus in John 8 in verse 32, Jesus says, you shall know 
the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Isn't it a blessing, really honestly and truly, to just step back? I'm going to Psalm 139. To step back and to honestly assess yourself, look deep into the recesses of your own heart. God knows us inside and out. We know ourselves. Look deep into the recesses.